This is Fashion in Focus, the weekly New Zealand fashion podcast covering our creative world from a unique perspective. My name is India Leishman. And I'm Murray Bevan. And every week, we'll connect you with the leading designers, editors, influencers, and stylists from all over the world. If you love fashion, this is the podcast for you. If you're a fashion fan living in New Zealand, you'll know her name well. Sally Ann Mullen is a formidable force who for some time now has led New Zealand women through the sometimes challenging maze of what to wear. When it comes to fashion, what she says goes, and there is good reason for that. Having been at the helm of Fashion Quarterly for a number of years, Sally Ann knows what works and what doesn't. Working in the magazine industry means no two days are alike for this multi-talented boss. Whether it's starting between meetings with different teams to make sure Bauer magazines are on track for deadline or zipping up for coffee with a PR agency to discuss a pitch, Sally Ann is a busy woman who means business. But work aside, she's a mother of a gorgeous wee son and somehow still manages to balance work and family, making it all look extremely seamless. But despite being the stylish top dog, Sally Ann's career wasn't always fashion. But perhaps that's what's given her an edge over the rest. This podcast, of course, is all about connecting you, the listener, with the leaders in this small but savvy industry. So it was always a goal for Murray and myself to get Sally Ann on the podcast. She's here today to offer those of you who may be starting out your careers in this industry and to reflect with those who have perhaps been in this industry for as long as she has. Welcome, Sally Ann. It's it's awesome to have you here with us today. Thank you. I guess I wanted to start off, um, you know, with with talking about your career because you have had quite an unconventional career for someone who is in fashion media. You know, you have... You were trained to being a doctor in the early days, and then you've worked in the costume department for TV shows. You've worked as a Mac makeup artist, a wig specialist at the BBC. This is this is not typically what you would expect, but it's very interesting, nevertheless. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, well, firstly, I didn't quite achieve the goal of becoming a doctor, nowhere near it. I only <laughs> lasted two years. Um, but then I, I soon realised it was a creative pursuit was was the one for me. Mm. And I actually left Otago, packed everything in my car, drove to Auckland and Googled uh, whatever the fastest creative course I could do. And that's how I ended up in makeup. Um, I had some really lucky breaks there, worked on some big magazine shoots and fashion weeks and got a great job for Mac. But um, in this kind of wild, just fortuitous event, I ended up filling in for uh, a then wardrobe assistant who Kathy is now is Kathy Pope the jeweler and I filled in for her as in the costume department of a Disney show called Power Rangers and oh yes the famous Power Rangers every key we will know that filmed here yeah <laughs> yeah so here I was in um, West Auckland working in film it was meant to be for six weeks but I kind of I flashed I loved it and I was good at it and I, I ended up working doing that for 12 years with the goal to be a costume designer like some of the costume designers I really looked up to in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So it is quite broad. And, I mean, as you say, 
uh, costume designing is not typically where someone starts when they they end up in in fashion media specifically. Um, And I guess probably having that very diverse experience has actually been very beneficial to you looking back. Do you feel that way and feel thankful for having a slightly... I guess a regular background to to most. Yeah, I guess it's been a it's a, been a blessing and a curse. Um, some more formal training in journalism and the art of media could have come in handy a lot of times um, for me. But then also the fact that I've worked in a whole lot of different jobs and my time in film and television and having to think about outfits and styles as characters and you really delve into their backstory, who are they, what's their motivation, where have they been. And so I think I've always looked at trends and how to convey them almost as characters because that was my how I came up. Um, and the other thing... Totally. And the work ethic that you learn working in film and television is crazy. The hours are huge and um, the expectation is immense. Mm. And that has been very, very helpful. So you gained some very invaluable skills. And I guess a lot of them would have been quite translation translational I guess into other areas as you say about coming up with trends and having characters and all of that inspiration it all sort of comes together but once you made the transition into working for magazines and you landed that job at Bauer um, as the fashion editor for Fashion Quarterly that to me sounds like a dream job for a lot of people who love this industry did you feel you know very happy and excited when you got that role? I yes I was overwhelmed with happiness I think I cried but I had um I I had burned out in film I was a buyer for one of for Outrageous Fortune one of NZ's big shows at the time I probably if I had worked for another couple of shows and films I maybe could have hit my goal as to have my own show to costume design but I was just mentally and physically exhausted I wanted to change I knew that I liked telling stories with clothing and beauty and hair because to me it's just such a, a crazy way how you can manipulate how the world sees you and how you see yourself with the same base like we've got the same base and we dress it up in different ways so I knew I wanted to tell stories with clothes and uh, fashion media was the kind of natural sidestep but I'm just so so thankful um, that the current the editor at the time Fiona Horton believed in me because I really wasn't the obvious choice yeah I guess what's interesting to me, you know, I hear what you're saying about thinking, "Mm, God, I'm burnt out, I do love this, I really want to, you know, I should keep going, but I think there's a lot of young people who face that. When they come out of university, they've studied for something, two or three years into it, and then they just go, this is not working out the way I thought it would. Are you um, really grateful, I guess, that you learned that lesson at that age? I am, and I do think it's different now. It's um, in our generation, we're lucky. It's kind of like relationships. Maybe we don't have one that lasts forever. You can have um, a, a time where something really fulfills you and then you move on to the next thing. And I think with careers, it's the same. Stay in the career if it makes you happy and fulfills you. Well, that's what I need to do to be alive. I can't, I'm just somebody, I need to be passionate about what I'm doing otherwise I feel really depressed, and then as soon as I'm into something, I'm I'm your best asset. I feel like you're completely talking about me right now. This is crazy. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I am thankful that I left. Yeah. And what was that first role like as a fashion editor? What what sort of things were you doing? Well, it was hilarious because film is very physical and very analog, and because it's all flight, it comes and goes, and 
a production company starts up for a job and then it's finished, there's not a lot of um, kind of admin and systems and process. So a massive thing about starting to work for an international media company like Bauer Media was actually learning um, how to survive and how to get by in a corporate environment. So boardroom meetings, forward planning, um, you know, like hard drive systems, just forms, so many forms, yeah. um, marketing departments, you know, Accounting department, all the processes, process and flow, and um, that was it, the clothes and the creativity is innate for me. That's not hard, but it was learning how to survive in corporate was that took a good six months before I felt before I didn't feel like an imposter. Yeah, and I guess you obviously did well because if we're moving on three years, you were then promoted to FQ's managing editor, which means you were overseeing the entire ma- uh, magazine, making all the big decisions. I guess you know was that the role of your dreams when you got that were you really pumped that was I'm I'm it's still to me kind of quite crazy that I got that job um I did campaign like you wouldn't believe for it I was absolutely not the expected choice because of my non-traditional um path through in my career um and I'm just it's quite overwhelming really that the management team um, supported me and they let me have a crack. It kind of it needed something new. It was a really changing time in media and, and all media companies were changing their brands and their products across all forums. And I think they just thought, let's just go with this wild card. I mean, yeah. she might mess it up or she might not. And um, I, yeah, that was just crazy. And I guess uh, I did want to ask you about that. When you were able to take the reins and just really go with whatever you, you wanted to do, did you feel any pressure by that at all or was it something that you actually just felt quite exhilarated by having all of that responsibility to be the the top dog definitely a mix I like to be in charge I like to be the leader um but there is so much pressure working with something like fashion quarterly because it's a heritage brand it's something that we've all grown up with um it is you know it's not a job to be taken lightly but I had uh, somebody I really respect, um, Paul Dyksel, who is the previous CEO of Australasian Bauer, he told me, you just backfill your team with, the, you don't need to be good at everything, concentrate on the things that you're good at, and then you backfill your team around you with people who are smarter than you and better at the things yeah. than you I've than always you heard can't that. Do. You hire the smarter people if you don't know yeah. what you're doing. Or you, if you're not an A-type personality, then you get three A-type personalities yeah. on your team. Um, and... I had a number of different people come through the team at Fashion Quarterly and Miss FQ and they were just like the most dynamic, incredibly hardworking, creative, um, beautiful writers, organised and so we really um, did it together and although I'm a leader, I my management style is inclusive. I like a flat structure and I like anyone from the intern to you know the most senior team member to be able to have an idea in it to have the the same way I think that that is a really important way to structure things these days yeah I can vouch for that because I remember because I did a, a little bit of interning at Bauer and I was working across Simply You and little bits of fashion quarterly for a time and I do remember thinking it was a it was when Jess was there and she was the I think editorial assistant that's right and I was remember working with her and just thinking oh my god this team does so well because everyone is um really putting in their two cents and it just seemed like a very 
nice environment to work in and I wasn't expecting that from fashion because Mm. I think sometimes you think oh god is everyone gonna be a bit snobby and a bit too cool and it just never felt like that it felt like you had a real family there well fashion media and magazines is we're speaking to women and women are so diverse and there's so many subtleties and differences in us so I think if you have as many voices as possible you can speak to more women and like have more opinions so I mean that's just the way I thought was best to do it. Yeah, fair enough. And I guess did that role involve a lot of overseas travel? Because, you know, we hear about all these editors-in-chief and they're travelling to beautiful parts of the world doing, you know, photo shoots, that sort of thing. Was there a lot of travel or is it more central in in New Zealand? Um, There wasn't as much travel as there was in the glory days of the 80s and 90s, but I certainly got to tick off some crazy experience experiences of Paris and Tokyo eating at Michelin star restaurants and um, Malaysia and shooting in the Atlas Mountains in Morocco so some really kind of cool stories and um, memories to Yeah, hold dear. Oh, that's lovely. I wanted to talk to you specifically about what you're doing now at Bell because you've been there for, am I correct in saying, eight years? That's right. And you were now the fashion director at Bauer in a new venture called the Fashion Department. And I've heard this is quite a diverse role with you working with a number of magazines. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that and what you're doing now? Yes, I can. And like back to that thing of me saying, if I'm passionate and, you know, really invested um, then I'm I'm away and it had got to the stage where with Fashion Quarterly I just needed a change. Um, I could see Zoe Walker across the building. I've always thought that she would be the most incredible editor for Fashion Quarterly and um, and it was time for somebody else to, to give it a crack and breathe some new life into it. Um, Did and you just feel that within you? That, I, like, yeah. Is it just sort of it takes was, over and you're like, this is, it, I need to step away? It's almost for me when I've cha- had major career changes, it's like this like this deep, almost hurt. I just start feeling glum and flat, like I lose my spark and then I know I have to make a change. Mm. And I'm just so goddamn thankful that Bauer is incredibly supportive and rather than um, me leave they kind of together we we created this idea called the fashion department which is um, has been created as a hub to create all the fashion content whether it be shot or market pages um, to be housed in all the all the brands so um, most of the women's lifestyle magazine brands that we're familiar with. And then we also consult to brands um, for their lines and we can give feedback on um, ranges or curate ranges for uh, some of our kind of more mainstream brands in New Zealand and also shoot campaign and lookbook work. So really varied, really shoot focused and maybe more of a, for me personally, um, more of a return to pure creativity um, and away from some of the kind of systems and stuff that you inevitably are in charge of when you're editing a magazine. Yeah, for sure. I guess is it something that you are really enjoying? Are you, are you, you know, have you found your new spot? Is it giving you the passion and purpose that you, you crave? Yeah, I have my vitality back. It is just, I feel like mental health and feeling, um, you know, really um, solid and sound and whatever you're doing, where you're living, where you're working, who you're around is so important. And like taking a holistic view, I've never, this, it's that kind of this vitality and energy that I've had in the last 12 months 
um, kind of starting a new thing, being kind of overwhelmed but in a great way, um, just being immersed in a new, yeah. exhilarated, being immersed in a new thing. I've cried, I've yelled, I've <laughs> all of the things, but it's I've been a great feeling to feel um, alive. Alive, yeah. 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 Is it a role that has um, presented, I guess, a lot of uh, stress? Because I guess now you are working with a lot of different teams and there's always going to be deadlines and perhaps you're working to budgets, that sort of thing. How, how are you managing that side? It's stress, but in a different kind of way. So um, it is stressful and time management is important because we're often, there's four of us, it's not just me, yeah. but we are working across a number of brands, as you say, in shoots and projects consecutively. And of course, every person who's in charge of whatever project they've booked you for, they, they feel their job is the most important, mm-hmm. so they should. But I guess it's managing personalities and dynamics and way different teams flow. But I enjoy that because I like interpersonal relationships and that, yeah. I, I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's it's manageable, I guess. Yeah. yeah. What do you love the most about your job? Because listening to you, you're clearly very passionate about what you do. Yeah. What do you love the most? Um, I Like I said earlier, I love that you can put a certain colour against you. You can wear your hair a different way, earrings, a dress, something different. And it can really bring on different emotions. It can make you feel your best self or your worst self and I love I feel like I could write a thesis on how clothes affect us and how they um, present us to the world because it's kind of all I've ever worked with in my life but I I'm just so happy to be around clothes and beauty and hair and in a kind of in a soulful way just because they do bring a lot of happiness to a lot of predominantly women I actually have a question um, that I was going to ask you later but I'm going to just ask it now and it's it's more about I guess there's I think often been a lot of people who say oh you know fashion it's not brain surgery and they belittle this industry Mm -hmm. and they put it down and or you'll get remarks you know from people about oh you know it's just fashion don't take it so seriously but I agree with you I actually think when you do have clothes that just make you feel really special that's an exhilarating feeling Mm. so what is your message I guess to people who put down fashion or people who work in it what what's your response to those people um I don't know what my response to the people really would be but for me fashion is entertainment it's another facet of entertainment and entertainment is so important because it brings us joy and it it's really it's not very tangible and it's different for every person. What might make one person sing and feel great might not make another person feel the same way. But we need joy and frivolous entertainment and beauty in our lives because um, it's just that like, it's just that extra thing away from the mundane day to day that I think is really important and for humanity. It's the sparkle. (laughs) Yeah, I love the spark. <laughs> and what are the challenges, I guess, that you think um, working in fashion? What are those the challenges that you've faced? Um, and that's a very broad question, so I, I, you know, interpret it however you yeah you want. I think one of the challenges working in fashion in New Zealand is the scarcity of jobs. I have, as you said, you briefly interned for us at Fashion Quarterly. 
I have met so many incredible young women and men who have studied fashion or communications with a mindset to get into fashion, be it with a designer um, or in the media or PR or some form. And I think aligning the people, the, the young or the emerging people with the roles is just a real bummer to me sometimes. There's hardly any jobs. Mm. Um, so that's a challenge. And then another challenge that's sometimes hard to see is young, young, incredible New Zealand designers who aren't making enough money because the product they are making is stunning and it's sustainable and it's well cut and it's been super well executed. And unfortunately, perhaps they have to put so much of the profit as they're starting out back into the business. It's hard sometimes for me to see people I'm really passionate about maybe not financially doing as well as I hope that they could they can yeah. one day hopefully one they day what if they had a you know a bigger um, market a bigger market yeah yeah I guess what is your message then just going back to you talking about people getting into the industry do you think that they are um and I guess in a better position if they move to somewhere like Australia to do it if they can't find a job here what's your message to those people should um, they be doing other things well, making themselves diverse. I think, you know, that old adage of um, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I truly believe in that. Um, also, I think if you look at me, just because you start in one job doesn't mean you might end up just in the complete higgledy-piggledy some other place. So I wouldn't tell people to move specifically to get a job, although it is good to go to London, Paris, New York, Sydney. But... Um, I think just keep the focus and try your hardest. And if it doesn't work out, don't beat yourself up because there's always something that's right for you just around the corner. Mm, I like that advice. When we were discussing this talk over email, you wrote that you feel like a bit of a wild card. And I wanted to ask you if you could elaborate a bit on that. I mean, I, oh, yeah. I, I get where you're, okay. you're going with it, but just. Okay, so I am a, gr- I'm a confident creative um, I'm really good at maths and science, but I'm actually dyslexic. I'm quite badly dyslexic. Oh. And I, so the, to start out as a child and think that you will be never really be able to um, be able to read and write as well as your peers and read novels and have this kind of um, traditional trajectory and, and a career that might incorporate writing in any way. To go from that to managing writers, becoming a managing editor across two magazines is pretty wild. Like, I think that it's just kind of a testament that you just never know where you're going to end up if you want it bad enough and if you can backfill for your own, um, your own, what you lack, then you can achieve whatever you want. But um, because of that reason, being the editor of Fashion Quarterly was probably slightly harder for me because everything I had to read a million times, I'd always be in the weekends, I'd really labour over any bit of written content, whether I'd written it or somebody else, um, just because, um, yeah, although I've like totally managed how to deal with it, my brain just doesn't work yeah. in the more traditional sense when it comes to the written word. It's pretty impressive, I think, because there's actually, you know, a lot of people who would probably say you're now running better 
yeah. than your, your classmates that you grew up with who didn't have dyslexia? My mum did bump into my um, English teacher from the boarding school I went to who she said she was crying talking to my mum. So mm-hmm. stuff like that is pretty um, amazing. But I had lots of help and, um, I mean, you know, like dealing with that. And, I mean, it's fine, but I think it's great if I could go back, you know, 30 years and tell my 10-year-old self that you will be working in a building with some of the best journalisms and journalists <laughs> in New Zealand. Yeah. Not only that, you'll be, you know, like Managing running a team of them, them yeah. that I would never have believed it. So that is why I feel like, wow, God. Oh, fantastic. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I had no idea. And I had a question that was going to be, you know, tell us something that we don't know about you. And I guess you could have answered yeah. there, but that's, I mean, that's cool. I've never, to be honest, like I never have, this is the first time I've talked about it in any kind of interview or Q&A because at the time I was the editor of Fashion Quarterly. I couldn't yeah. say that. Um, but in time, I'd love to kind of talk to young people, um, you know, school-age people, just because I do think it is quite um, a good, inspiring, um, expanding case study of yeah. somebody. Um, yeah. So would your message then to the kids, if there are any who are listening to this podcast, you know, be that, you know, what is your message? What would your message be to those those young ones? I would think don't rule out anything in life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then often because you learn things a different way. So for me, I see words as stamps, as pictures. Wow. So I've got an extremely, extremely good visual memory. So I that's how I learned to read. So I don't sound out a word. I see it as a picture yeah yeah oh my god this is so interesting it's I feel like I could just it? sit here and it's talk so about wild. this for two hours and um and that's why I I'm a huge fan of Dominic Hoey who is also the spoken word poet um Tourette's because he also is dyslexic mm-hmm. and he's written two novels or a novel and a poetry book he is the most incredible um performer with words and the way he puts them together considering um, he's a dyslexic as he's always been an expander for me so watching him come up and hearing him perform has always made me kind of believe that I can too you could do it it's amazing I remember seeing a documentary a couple of years on ago on dyslexia and it showed you in graphics what it's like for someone who is dyslexic so the word is there and then all of a sudden you know the words are sort of jumbled or they sort of like almost like fall off the page and it was just very interesting to see in that mm. way, what it's like, because I think it's very hard for people to understand. Yeah. Particularly with these, you know, sorts of, I don't even know what to call it. It's not like a, um, it's not like a disability or anything like that. I, but it's, it's just your brain just works in a slightly different way, I suppose. But um, it's like my systems and flow and, and my little brain is just slightly different. But so for me, I don't have, because I've almost remembered every word, I don't have that unless it's a word I've never seen before. And then I just look at it and I'm like, oh, man. But thank <laughs> God for smartphones. Yeah. Oh, if I'm reading – and I'm, a, I'm actually a, a voracious reader and I love um, I love poetry. I love lyrics of songs and books. So, I mean, y- y- all these things can go together mm. um, and survive in the same house, if you know, in your brain. But I just – if there's a word I've never seen before, I just Google it. And then if I look at it long enough, I remember it and then I'm, I'm away. But if I ever write you a birthday card yes. or something like that in our future yeah. um, and it is cooked, how I've written it, yeah. you'll have to forgive me oh because that's why. That's great, though. It's sort of like your own signature yeah. in a cool <laughs> <Yeah>. way, isn't it? <laughs> well, given what we are just talking about, I guess I want to ask you, you know, looking back, 
are you where you envisioned you would be? Because I think at 25, it seems these days, particularly there's a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves to achieve certain things by the time we're 30. But the reality is there's a lot more life on the upper side of 30 than there is the lower side. What's your view on um, the work you've done? Are you are you happy with where you are? Yeah, I'm, I, I am proud of what I've achieved at work. And if you had have asked me at 25, I would have wanted to be a costume designer of a great show or film. But I think it's just been a bit of a sidestep into something else. Um, but what I'm really proud of is that I'm happy every day I bound out of bed to go to work. Mm. I love it. I love the people I work with. I love what we do. I love that we make women happy. And I love that we get to work with New Zealand design brands. So, yeah. Looking back, you're happy. Looking back, I'm happy. Yeah, Yeah, I couldn't be more happy. And I guess extending on that, do you think, I mean, as you said, you've worked with a lot of um, young people in your teams, whether it's interns or or older people. Do you think that we unnecessarily stress about achieving things in our careers by a certain age? Or do you think it's beneficial to have age career goals? I was pretty obsessed with work. My whole 20s, I just worked, worked, worked. Um, And it did mean uh, I achieved some goals that I'd set up for myself. I think you've got to assess what is right for you. If you want to to achieve your goals and if you want to get those big jobs and those big opportunities, then unfortunately, to me, you really do have to dedicate yourself to your career, but just make it a career that you goddamn love so it doesn't feel like working. Yeah. Um, I have some regrets about not going to enough music festivals and art shows and, you know, camping enough because I would have been working. But then also you can't have it all. It's not realistic. Mm. You kind of, you choose your lane and you just hope by the time you get to the the turn off that you can look back and you made the right decision. And I guess you can always go to Coachella when you're 80. Hey, I can totally. (laughs) Yeah, look out. (laughs) This is a bit of a broad question, but um, I guess I wanted to ask you, what is your opinion of the fashion scene in New Zealand? And do you think it has evolved much over the past decade? You know, what are some of the big changes or things you've seen? Um, I have always been really passionate about the New Zealand uh, fashion scene. It kind of something that a lot of people, New Zealand listeners might not know this if anyone's listening from overseas they will but we're quite a unique place where we really hero and wear and purchase our more premium New Zealand designed clothes Mm -hmm. and a lot of countries it's more they're going to that um, mid-range designer or designer um, they look up to that kind of scene like Vuittons and have you what have you but um, here we are so passionate as a race about our New Zealand designers. Um, I think there's been always a really strong scene here, but in the last kind of six years, the kind of emergence of this kind of um, great little pod of, they're not new designers now, they're all established and they're all doing great things, but there was a bit of a new wave that came through and um, it's cool for me because it was right, you know, in the like kind of time that I've been working in mags and that's been really dynamic and incredible to watch um, big overseas celebrities and stylists um, embracing our New Zealand design clothes. So it's actually funny you say that because one of my memories when I was doing interning at FQ was a Maggie Marilyn lookbook being sent through and everyone being like, oh my God, this is a bit different. We don't see this usually. And now you look at where Maggie is, you know, all these years later and it's like, 
I mean, I'm wearing her shirt right now. Yeah. There we go. And you, so are you. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> the podcast sponsored by Maggie. No. Yeah. Well, um, it's funny you bring up that new generation because I was going to ask you about that. And I know you call them the new guard. Yeah. That's your little name. Which well, they're not now, though. But I mean, it's been like, oh, well. you know, it's been it's been a minute. But yeah. We did at the start. Um, we weren't alone in that. I think that several people called them. Yeah. They they were the they it's were the so new cool. guard. I love like, that name. It's great. To be kind of I mean, they're all those guys are all friendly th- with each other and they're of a similar age and kind of graduation time from whatever fashion schools they were at and um it was just I don't know if there was something in the water that year or around those kind of two years, but um it was bloody exciting and exhilarating to watch mm. especially those um first few seasons of those designers cuz you could just see that some there was something there yeah i get the feeling and i talked about this when me and Murray did our talks earlier in march last year but you really get the feeling that they're very supportive of each other and i haven't been around long enough to know what the previous sort of generation of designers were but i have heard that there were perhaps it was more competitive uh, then perhaps it, it seems to be now they're very supportive and there's no um, animosity or anything between any of them. Do you get that same vibe? I do get that same feeling. I mean, you know, we're fashion people. Our community is a passionate yeah. um, group of people, so I'm sure it's not without its complexities. But, um, yeah, there's, there's certainly that kind of group of designers seem to all uh, be a great community together. And that's not to say that they're kind of the last wave of designers who are still, who still, going. Are still going. And yeah. lots of those guys work as, in together as a great community. And um, while there's been fallouts, there's also been real big fall-ins. Yeah. And, um, and you'll find that lots of those kind of more senior designers, established designers, um, they are very great friends to the level of almost being each other's family as well. So yeah. I think that maybe people just wrote about some of those falling outs. There's a couple, yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's not too bad. No, there <laughs> we go. I guess asking about that younger group, I mean, it seems like for them the job role, I guess, perhaps has changed slightly in that they're not solely designing clothes nowadays. They have to factor in sustainability, accessibility, making sure they're not discriminating against an audience. They still have to compete with overseas brands for the same audience because of online shopping. And they've still got to make a profit. How challenging is that for them? It must be um, immensely challenging, but I think um, things like um, sustainability and speaking to a diverse customer base is not something that they have to think about because a lot of these designers, that's just how they are and what they do. So Mm. it's kind of part of their craft because it's right at the start of their thinking of their collections. Yeah, it's a core of their brand essence Mm. and who they are and what they want to do and why they're in it. So I think, um, yeah, I'm sure it's crazy. I wouldn't want to be... I take my hat off to fashion designers. It's a tough game and they're incredible. I wanted to ask you about mental health and this is a topic I've discussed with almost everybody on the podcast because they do think everybody does go through ups and downs and it is very much a normal part of life but there has been a really weird stigma around it for for quite a while. So I guess in your industry which is so looks and image focused, how do you, you know, I guess deal with with mental health and and you know make sure you're checking in on yourself because I do imagine it is quite saturated with image. 
It is. And look, it's something I've spent, I feel like, hundreds of hours thinking about um, in the last eight years when I've worked in more in fashion and away from film because you we're speaking to this big group of society and we've just got to make sure the messages that we're sending are representative of making women and men feel great and definitely the start of this when I entered this industry we we needed to do better the girls were too thin I mean they might naturally be thin but they weren't a good representation of woman 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 in general and um you know all very similar looking and um and even I have felt that like even just super directly being around all that immense one percent of beauty myself I've like suffered with worrying you know what do I look like and am I thin enough and I know other people that I've worked with have too and it's you're in this like pressure cooker of beauty um, and perfectionism and it has been really great to witness I'd say in the last five years and it's not happened overnight but it's been slowly changing is it's not how we are now and we've got a ways to go but um I think we're really aware of um and more inclusive beauty different size range, talking about mental health issues, just being more kind of um, less perfect and more inclusive and goofier and zanier and just like just how humans and women are. Like Mm. we don't – you don't have to be cookie cutter in any way now. But um, do you think we're more aware of the, you know, the – perfection environment because of things like Instagram like I do I sometimes think I'm scrolling through these feeds and think, oh my god beautiful girl after beautiful girl after mm. beautiful girl but then at other times I can step away from it and just go well you know if I put that much time and effort and and to getting a beautiful photo like that perhaps I would actually look quite nice too but it is you're comparing you know someone's 10% with your 90% I think because you're in a privileged position, you you're aware that they girl on Instagram has posed for that photo and taken a hundred and put a filter on it and face turned it or whatever. A young girl, like a fourteen year old girl in her bedroom, who perhaps is you know in a goofy stage and not feeling her best, her looking at it, she just thinks that's just snapped oh, wow. one. And oh, yeah, I do think Instagram has brought it to the forefront, but I actually think it's probably a generation this has been bubbling away that we knew we had to um we had to speak to and represent women in a different way like it was like it was the whole world has they don't want that anymore which is great like people want a mix I guess then I would be curious to know what is the current environment like in terms of things like photoshop because we have seen you know, celebrities like Lord come out before and say to magazines, oh, no, you know, I don't want you to retouch me. There's been a lot of celebrities who do that. Is that still happening? Is there still a lot of photoshopping? Is it less than what it used to be in the magazine industry? I think it's, it is definitely less. Um, we still, all media companies... Touch and, up. Yep, touch up. But it's, the world trend is for more reality across every thing lighting styling you know whiffs like everything is getting a little realer every year yeah a little more real seems like there's a lot of transparency compared to what perhaps there used to be yeah. slowly as you say getting there sally Ann, what do you do in your downtime if you have any at all i imagine you probably don't have much 
Well, um, looking back to me saying all I did in my 20s was work, mm-hmm. now that I'm well into my 30s, I am actually taking quite a bit more me time and I, I'm i obsessed with the ocean. So I go to the beach with my dog and my kid whenever I can and um, I'm actually learning how to sail. Um, wow. Yes, I just put an offer in on this little um, cute little yacht with a friend, a classic recently and so I'm hoping to this summer to actually really immerse myself into uh, learning how to sail properly. That's fantastic. Mm. Is this a you know a random initiative that came out of nowhere or did someone did you meet maybe you know Blair Chook or curling <laughs> or something? Or I just... did have dinner with them actually last year I mean maybe and um, maybe I don't realize and they have influenced me yeah. but no, I have uh, a couple of dear, dear friends who are amazing salty sailors yeah. and through witnessing their passion and going away on um, a couple of their boats, I decided that that was the, the sailor's life for me oh and God, Paddy. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, so I wanted to ask you about Paddy. He's seriously cute. I've seen him on your Instagram and the funniest thing I saw not too long ago was him dressed up as Optimus Prime. I just thought that was adorable. Oh my God. He's um, so sweet. Well, I mean, what, what's it like for you being a mum and how did that change your, you know, whole experience as, you know, in your personal life and your work life? Well, I had an unfortunate thing, not unfortunate, but when I got the job as fashion editor and the de- the next day I realised that I was had accidentally fallen pregnant. Oh, my God. So I just got the absolute <laughs> dream job. Like when Fiona Horton told me I had the job, I basically weeped for like two hours after oh as I drove because I was so happy. I, you would have thought I'd won 20 million. I was that happy. Then the next day I find out I'm pregnant. Oh, my God. And I just was like, oh, no, my dreams are ruined. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and um, I was so guilty about taking this job and accidentally being pregnant that I didn't tell anyone at Bauer and until I was 22 weeks. Oh my God. So, so I what's just, that in months? Oh, I was like half halfway. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, and so I just started to wear, I was really obsessed with Nom D at the time, and I was wearing all these, like, black tunics layered up, and I just was, like, all into the volume, and um, I was wearing Jimmy D, um, Nom D, and some Zambezi, and I just thought, all these people must think, you're the only person who gets a role of a fashion editor and, like, packs on 20 kgs. Like, what are you up to? Turns out I was pregnant. <laughs> Um, and yeah, Patty is just my best little friend that I never knew that I needed. And he has grown up on set. He actually just, he's getting a camera this year for Christmas from his grandparents. And he, yeah, he's just, he just rolls along with me, um, when he can. And he's got a good eye. (laughs) It's awesome having a kid. I love having a kid. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure I would have been someone who would have a child um but then as soon as I had one I'm just so thrilled that I've had a kid because um everything seeing the world through a child's eyes is a really beautiful experience and um I guess you've always got this little sidekick and you know what? They tell you you're beautiful all the time because yeah. a little boy always thinks his mum is the most oh beautiful person God, in the world. <laughs> so if I'm having a bad day, I'm, I just look at Patty with kind of puppy dog eyes. Yeah, you see, and he your says, "You're beautiful, Mama." Oh was, my yeah. God. Yeah. Very sweet. Would recommend. <laughs> Would recommend. I like that. <laughs> how How did you juggle that then? Being pregnant and getting that role that would have been a very full on. Um, well, it wasn't. It wasn't easy, but I mean, a lot of women do it, so it's just whatever. But I, um, 
I remember on the last couple of shoots we did for FQ, I'd be like, get down to do the shoes up and um, on a model and then like get stuck and there'd be like two model <laughs> ones for either side, like holding me back up. <laughs> and then I, I went, I had a while off FQ, but I went back to freelancing straight away, like 14 or 20 weeks. Wow. After, and I just had Patty on my, um, I wore a little front pack and he yeah. just hung on the front of me and he's always been the best boy but I think it's because he came to work with me from tiny baby yeah. and so he's so used to just being good and like yeah. being around adults but I it's don't know a, it's his environment and his little safety nets I guess yeah. at work yeah and he knows like knows all the makeup artists and all the models and all the studio oh he knows God. where all the snacks are at all the photo studios That's and stuff gorgeous and, yeah do you get to spend much time with him um, back in Taranaki because that's where you're from you grew up on the coast and I'm sure you have a lot of connection to, to that time in your life do you go back there much? I do I well I only go back I try and get back three or four times a year but it's not always easy mm. with work but um, I'm from a very very close family mm-hmm. and from a beautiful tiny little town on the coast as you said and um so every, even two or three days there is completely refreshing. I come back, like, feeling a, a million bucks. That's the salt air. Yeah. Yeah. Something about the environment, isn't it? It's yeah. just getting into, away from the city. I'm an Auckland girl, but my, you know, grandmother lives in Nelson. Yeah. So it's just getting to beautiful Golden Bay and yeah. going by the sea. It's yeah. a very refreshing experience. Nothing like putting a bit of a pair of gumboots on as well for a few yeah. days to make you appreciate your stilettos when oh, you get absolutely. home. Absolutely. <laughs> do you have any role models or people that you look up to? Yeah, I, um, I have a couple of role models that I look up to a lot and it's kind of like a bit of a cross kind of marrying why I'm such a big fan but um there's a costume designer in New Zealand named Sarah Voon and I worked under her um for a couple of years only um on Go Girls and some American projects uh films that were being shot here I think and watching how she navigated being a mother a creative and a team leader Mm. um and a friend was just so special she was probably 10 or 12 maybe more years older than me. She's so beautiful, I can't I don't even know how old she is. But <laughs> she I was would have been in my really early twenties and I remember thinking, this is how I want to do adulting. I wanna be like her. Like you. I want to be fun and creative and laugh, but I also want to be fucking good at my job and I want to be the best mum and I just and I want to look cool and um and I wanna do it all with a smile. And yeah, I often think of her and I I don't see her very often, but I flick her a text occasionally and say, you're my idol. Oh, I was going to yeah. say, do you think <laughs> yeah. she knows that she's, she's yeah, a I top told dog? Her. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I guess we've talked about, you know, your, your time at Bauer and the things you did earlier, but you also had another quite interesting stint being a judge on New Zealand's Project Runway. What was that experience like? I can't imagine it was too similar to anything you'd ever done before. Yeah, that was wild. Um, I, I, I did a tryout to be a judge for w- one of the weeks and then the production team at Warner's liked my tape and they asked, they rang and asked if they could put me forward to be one of the full-time judges as a wild card. They said they already had their three, but that they would submit me. And they were like, you know, to be honest, what you do for a job is help because that's in keeping with the Austra- uh, American format or whatever. Mm. I just never thought that I would get it, ever, 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 ever. Like, And um, when they rang me, yeah, it was wild. Like to do that, to be... 
I'm kind of a control freak and I'm used to being behind the scenes. So I'm used to looking into the monitor and, you know, being able to kind of direct Direct and oversee a project, whether it be a magazine or a shoot or something like a rolling film thing. Like I'm not used to being the talent in the front. And you can't see yourself yeah. and there's film crew working around. You have to trust in oh the process God. a lot, don't you? You go, should oh. I hope this is looking good? Um, yeah. And sitting next to Georgia Fowler. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God. It's a tough Pressure. Thing. Thankfully, you're so gorgeous Oh, as thank well, you. So That's you very really kind. Um, yeah. Good time, sir. Mm. I wanted to ask you about the media industry and more particularly the magazine sector, which has made a real transition towards digital over the past 10 or 15 mm. years. And I guess they have the constant looming concern that print might eventually die. What's your your view on it? Or do you think magazines will die out? And if so, what's what's going to replace them? I think they will never die because like a, a book that we hold and read, um, you know, it will never die. They're, they're a heritage product and it's so nice to have something tangible and non-digital in your hands and the experience to read paper over a screen there's something beautiful and relaxing about that I think it will continue to evolve and I think now uh, most media outlets across all channels like radio tv magazines books whatever we way more work in this like 360 holistic approach so there'll be a magazine a a website, a podcast, a speaker series, um, a product. Like we don't now we're a brand and that is the same with, you know, you look at a TV show or a radio brand, like we we don't employ specialists on our teams. It's most people kind of know how to style step and bob and weave across all platforms. So you really have to be able to write a digital piece, load an Instagram story, write um, you know, a story that gets printed in a book, but you probably also know how to have to know how to speak in front of a crowd and be on a podcast. Like you, we're just entertaining in a more um, a more multifaceted approach now. Do you find it more demanding having to do so much? Because I work in news, for example, and back in the day, if you were a reporter, you just went out and reported. But now. As a reporter, you also edit, you also produce, you script, you do a lot more than just the one role, and some of them even film their own stories. So the change has been quite real in that side of media. Have you felt that same demands in your side? Absolutely. It's like you were singing. Taking the words out of your mouth. But I mean, I think, and I've talked about this before in some other kind of interviews, but I think it's both a privilege and a curse. So if you, and I'm a real glass half full kind of gal Mm -hmm. if you look at it like now we're entering into this um kind of landscape where we know how to do all the things so in terms of your next step or all of our next step yeah I know how to edit a video yeah I know how to do this and do that and um we used to work in such a siloed way so you would only be whatever you're only the writer and you never go to even you never go to external meeting you basically sit in your little cave and you write stories now that person is doing all the things all the time. And um, whilst it is very busy and draining, it's also very um, fulfilling because you're never bored. Yeah. So I I don't know, I feel like if I'm not pushed, I'm a, a bit bored. But if I'm almost to the level of I'm overwhelmed, then I'm exhilarated. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, no, I yeah. get that completely. What do you attribute your success to? Because sitting here with you for the last however long, 
you've done a lot of big things and I know you said you worked really hard in your 20s but do you think there are key things it comes down to perhaps it's hard work or being really passionate or having a good attitude what do you think has been what's really helped you get where you are um I've thought about this too because I have had some big jobs that kind of everyone I haven't really been the obvious choice but I've always got it Mm. and I think um work ethic is important and also being brave so backing yourself and um and always saying yes so if you're into something and you want to achieve something whether it be a hobby or a friendship or a work opportunity put yourself out there you know for the extra task or the extra opportunity if there's a new little side team going off to to get into some new thing um, that your company is getting on board with you want to be the you want to be in in on all the things mm. that is one thing that I've thought um, luck bit of luck I've been in the right place at the right time a few times and timing which you can't control that that's a universe but it's kind of like aligning your you're having the balls to align with the luck. So when you the luck approaches you, have the balls to make something out of it. I like that saying. Is it something that's just come to you in this moment or do you live by that? No, it just came to But it's definitely how I live. Yeah. Um, but that just came to me. Align but, yourself with the luck. I yeah. think in 10 years someone hopefully will be interviewing <laughs> me and they'll say, what's a great bit of advice? And I'll say, well, one day, once upon a time. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. What When you look back at your career and all of the things you have achieved, what are your highlights? What are your, your showreel moments? Um, it's a big question, and you, I know you've done a lot of cool stuff. All the firsts. Yeah. All the firsts, because I really put out into the world the things I wanted to do. So I was, when I was in the trenches of film, you know, working on set and washing costumes and cleaning boots and being there from dawn till dusk on set, all I wanted to be was a buyer. And a buyer is in the, they help the designer, but they buy all the fabric and the clothes and you're more in the creative hub. And so you get to be kind of a, you're not the key decision maker, but you're in the, you're in the hub, you know, like you're in the kind of um, the, the trust circle and you're privy, privy to a whole lot of stuff. I thought about that for months. I put it under the world that I wanted to do that. And then it just kind of fell into my lap in a weird way. That my first job as a buyer is one of my ultimate, most treasured moments. moments. And then I guess getting the call that I had got the job as um, both editor of Fashion Quarterly and Project Runway, both because I was in shock because, um, you know, I'm a little girl from a farm in Taranaki, so you you never know what you can put. Set, achieve if you set your mind to something I suppose that's awesome I have now got a couple of quick fire questions for you so mm-hmm. hopefully you can just it'll come to you rather than having to you know think a lot about your answers what is your favourite ice cream flavour oh uh, maple walnut oh that's brilliant <laughs> that's great I was not picking that everyone goes for the traditional ones oh. that's nice what is your favourite city the one you love the most in the world Oh, I'm going to say something so nerdy, but and it's not a city really; it's a town. But I'm going to say New Plymouth because that is the oh, that's the service please. centre where I'm from, and um, I bloody love Taranaki, yeah. best place in the world, Paradise. Paradise, nice. What is the activity that makes you feel the most relaxed? Sailing. You and prior to sailing, what would it have been? Because I guess that's a slightly new endeavour, is it? Can I say sex? No. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah go for it. it. Makes you feel relaxed. That's great. <laughs> 
If you could pick any decade from the past to live in, which would you pick? Ooh, the 70s. That's been the common answer, actually. And why? Uh, maybe the kind of change in thinking, the freedom, the fashion. Um, I bloody love a flair. And I like the idea of going to kind of wild, happy festivals. And I'm kind of, I'm very woo-woo. And so there was all those kind of like woo-woo practices coming in and I just would have been all about it. (laughs) In your element. What is your favourite thing to spend money on? Food. What's your favourite restaurant? um, What is my favourite restaurant? Um, I, oh, that's so hard. I mean, there's so many incredible restaurants. Maybe, oh, this is bad. Can we start again? Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah that's fine. That's I, um, and I sort of interrupted I, you. I anyway. mean, like, um, like I cook, I'm, oh. I'm a cancer, and so I cook like you wouldn't believe. Perfect. I'm like always, I'm a, and I'm a hell feeder. Like, I feed, I'm always like, oh, you you come, you pick yeah. out, do you oh. want to come in and eat something? Because yeah, I've got, and I have, yeah. like, stuff in the fridge, and, like, I'm that person. So I spend so a ridiculous amount of fun money on produce and good meat and fish and yeah. Almond butter and shit like that. I'm going to ask you that question right. again, sorry. What's your favourite thing to spend money on? Food. Really? Yeah. I'm a feeder. So I, I'm i a cancer, so yeah. I'm very nurturing. And I love to cook and I love to feed people, friends and family. Um, so I always have a great number of click-clack dishes in my fridge with leftovers and good avocados and fish and almond butter and you've stopped by I'll sort you out I bet you also have really good lunches as well if you've got the leftovers I haven't had like food envy of Sally Ann's lunch looking over like oh god yeah with their uncle Ben's and there you are yeah some delicious meal yes (laughs) if you didn't work in fashion what do you think you'd be doing for a career um I'd want to be around people and creativity so something else creative and something in art maybe or music or two two things I like is seeing different people every day and being able to work with colours and shapes On that note do you think there's potential that you will ever move away from fashion into something else? Well yeah um, I've kind of ticked all the goals that I've achieved and I mean that I've set up for myself and while it definitely won't happen now, maybe like in 10 years or something, I'd actually like to go back to film and be a costume designer because I got so kind of close and then I just burnt out before I ticked that box. But I'm always, I'm, I've been having some dreams and things about it, but it's certainly not now because I love, love, love what I do and I've got a few years left in me in this. Yeah. But um, one day, maybe when Patty's a bit older and I can handle working 20-hour days again, um, I might like to go back to film and design a show. So any uh, producers and directors <laughs> yeah, out get there? Get in touch. Call <laughs> me. Ten years time. Yeah. <laughs> what is something that most people don't know about you? Um, or perhaps even, actually, no, yeah. What is something people don't know about you? We'll stick with that one. What is something that people don't know about me? guess it would have been your sailing yeah maybe the sailing or although that's new I don't know what I feel like I'm such an open book do people think you're intimidating do you get that ever I do but um I used to I used to more and I think it was like the imagery that we captured of me when I was 
at the Edinburgh Fashion Quarterly was always quite stoic and hard because you, you're trying to portray this like um, authoritative figure. Mm. And I think because I'm actually goofy and funny and warm, I probably tried to overcompensate and look more serious in the imagery we captured for that. Mm. So I have had some interns and things come in and say, oh, wow, you're really nice and open. I'm like, yeah. But um, I think maybe this new role has been a real move back to authenticity for my personal brand so I can be a bit more kind of you know goofies woo woo 70s yeah yeah like and it's okay I like that that's awesome what is or is there any common misconception that people have about you do you think um I don't know I there's nothing that you sort of get a lot oh I thought you were this or anything like that no, but maybe I I don't know. I'm like a pretty happy person. Mm. I don't. I, they might think that and ask that, but maybe I don't hear it. I don't know. That's okay. You might not have one. Yeah, these are, just, these are pure questions. Don't worry if you if you don't. That's all good. What makes you the happiest? Patty and my dog and the beach. So perfect day would be the three of us. Beautiful day. Five swims, salty, sandy. That makes me happy. Does he love that stuff too? Oh, yeah, my God. We live at the beach and we're always sandy, salty, um, exhausted, you know, sun-kissed. Yeah. That's like, that's our that's our happy place. What do you think your life will look like in 15 years' time? Well, I don't know. I, um, I'm pretty open to different opportunities and where my life might head. I currently live in the city and I think I wonder if in 15 years I would have moved back out to one of the West Coast beaches and maybe still be um, working in central Auckland. But um, I no great – I've already ticked off – I've got, you know, like the house, the dog, the kid. Mm. So I just guess just continue on that same path. Mm. I don't want to do anything drastically different. I love living in New Zealand. Um you have quite a teenager by that stage, won't I you? know. <laughs> we have to shoot him in magazines yeah, exactly. by then. Well, it's time for us to wrap up. So I, I just want to say a massive thank you to you for coming in and giving your time, but also for being so open because I think podcasts are this amazing way for people to just listen and feel like they're in the room with us and learn so much about you and you have been so open and I just think it's incredible to hear the work you've done and you've worked so hard so I really appreciate you you being with us today thank you so much I loved this this is my first ever podcast and is it, it? Was, yeah I thought it might be um scary but it was actually really enjoyable oh that's good I'm glad you've enjoyed mm. yourself Next week, guys, Murray has got another wonderful guest joining him, so make sure you stay tuned in for that. And until my next episode, enjoy everything. (laughs) That was the latest from Fashion in Focus. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our conversation. If you want more, make sure you subscribe to get a fresh episode in your inbox every week. Check out more of our episodes on your favourite podcast feed and get in touch with us at fashion and focus at showroom22.com.